are listening to a Commonwealth Bank of Australia Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. This podcast provides general market-related information and is not intended to be an investment research report. The information contained in this podcast is based on previously published material, and before listening, you're advised to read the full Global Economic and Markets Research Disclaimers, which can be found at combankresearch.com.au. Welcome to the Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. My name is Belinda Allen and I'm a Senior Economist here at ComBank and today I'm joined by Carol Kong, a Senior Associate in our Currency Strategy and International Economics team. Carol, nice to have you on again. Good to be back, Belinda. Now we're back talking about biodiversity, which is really a growing focus for the international community and global investors as well. And one of the the big thematics we've seen in recent months has been a big focus on COP26. We had Kim Mundy from your team on to talk about that uh, just as that conference was winding up. But there was a lot of focus on that, on climate change, but we can't forget about biodiversity either just because there is so much interconnectedness between the two, which we'll touch on in this podcast. Now, there was high anticipation going into some recent meetings. Uh, We had COP26, but we've also had COP15. Why was there such anticipation heading into this meeting? Yeah, I think one of the reasons why there were so many expectations and anticipation um, ahead of COP15 was that there was just a greater level of awareness Mm. of the value of biodiversity. I mean, as you said earlier, Um, climate change and biodiversity loss are really interconnected. So biodiversity can exacerbate climate change and climate change can also exacerbate biodiversity loss. So that interconnectedness is, um, I think, getting uh, more recognised by the global economy. And that was one of the reasons why there was so much anticipation um, ahead of COP15. But I think um, another reason why that was the case is because um, the biodiversity target for the last decade was widely regarded as a failure. Mm. So there was one report out of the UN Global Biodiversity Outlook um, saying that none of the 20 Archie biodiversity targets uh, were fully met. And as a result of that, there was um, a new global biodiversity, biodiversity framework called the post-2020 Global Biodiversity Framework. So that um, framework is touted as the Paris Agreement for Biodiversity. And just very briefly, it basically comprises um, different action targets and milestones um, to ensure no um, net loss of biodiversity by 2020 um, in order to achieve the vision of living in harmony with nature by 2050. So the first draft of that um, new biodiversity framework was released in July 2021. So that first draft was discussed um, during the first part of COP15 in October. Further negotiation will be undertaken um, in early next year um, before being finalised and adopted in part two of COP15, um, which will be held during uh, late April to early May. Right, so there's going to be another COP15. What were some of the most interesting developments out of part one of COP15 or the Biodiversity Conference back in October? Well, there have been a lot of um, 
capture positive developments um, out of part one of COVID-16 in October 2021. And I think one of the most significant developments um, was the Kunming Declaration. So that declaration was adopted by over 100 countries, including Australia, and that basically outlines different commitments to ensure that the new global biodiversity framework is um, implemented effectively. And one of the commitments uh, say that countries will have to increase financial and techni- uh, technological support to developing countries for implementing that new framework. And um, I guess one thing that stood out was that uh, the Chinese government announced um, a 1.5 billion yuan grooming biodiversity fund. And following that, there have been some more countries, including the EU, the UK, as well as Japan, announcing more funds for biodiversity. So while this is all positive news, um, it is really important to note that some of these funds um, are not new money. Mm. Rather, they will be channeled from existing climate funding. Um, so that will kind of um, undermine the efforts of, uh, to protect nature as well. But I think um, there was also another very important commitment that came out of uh, COP15. And that was uh, countries committing to enhance the global environment and uh, legal framework and also strengthening um, environmental laws at the national level. So um, I think if Australia, which is a signatory to uh, COP15, if Australia acts on that commitment, um, I think what it means is that more companies in Australia will be required to assess and disclose their nature-related dependencies and also impact uh, possibly in line with the TNFC framework, which is the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosures Framework. I mean... Many Australian companies are already reporting their climate-related risk um, in line with the TCFC framework, which is the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures. And also earlier this year, the G7 also said that they will push for the TCFC-aligned disclosures to be mandatory. So I think the implication is that um, it will be a matter of time before Australian companies will be required to um, disclose the nature-related risk and disclosures in line with the TNFC framework, and that will become a standard framework in Australia once it is developed in 2023. And also the fact that the Australian government um, announced during COP26 it will participate in TNFC, um, that also indicates to us that um, there will be a greater chance of adoption of the TNFC framework in Australia. Um, but um, one of the problems with current nature-related reporting is that the quality and quantity of um, nature-related information disclosed vary a lot across companies. Um, there was one recently published report by the Australian Sustainable Finance Institute, and that found that many of the biodiversity disclosures um, were actually limited in scope and depth. So there is a lot of work to be done in order to meet um, the increasing demand of emerging disclosure frameworks like the TNFC, but also increasing investor expectations. So if you think about this, um, so if you have a business, you will likely 
want to measure and disclose uh, your biodiversity-related risk and dependencies. But you might also consider developing biodiversity strategy and commitment. Um, at the very least, I think it is important for Australian companies to just stay informed um, mm. with regard to the development of the PNFC framework. Um, as I said, I think it will be escalated um, very quickly once uh, developed. Um, in particular, there will be a beta version of the TNFC framework uh, to be released in February 2022. So that is an important uh, one to watch because it will sort of give an indication of what the final framework might look like. So what we're really seeing is we've got climate change and climate change disclosures and a focus on climate change on one hand, but we're really seeing the focus on nature be separated and pulled out from that. And certainly we saw nature being discussed in COP26 as well, the climate conference. What did they talk about at COP26 in terms of nature and biodiversity? And in particular, I guess here in Australia, we have a large agriculture sector, a forestry sector as well. What takeaways do we need to understand that's been going on at COP26 for here in Australia? So... COP26 uh, is obviously a climate conference, mm. but despite that, um, nature was actually heavily discussed um, during the COP26 negotiation um, more than ever before. So, um, for example, in the Glasgow Climate Pact, um, nature was actually featured in that pact, um, adopted by almost 200 countries. Um, there was a um, an emphasis on the importance of protecting, conserving and restoring nature and ecosystems in order to achieve the Paris Agreement goal. And, um, I mean, that connection between nature and climate was not previously acknowledged, at least um, explicitly, in the 2015 Paris Agreement. So I think that was a really significant outcome and I think that will mean uh, we'll see more countries will take nature into account when they develop their domestic policies. Um, there are also a number of um, important pledges that arose uh, from the COP26. So one of them being the deforestation mm-hmm. pledge. Um, so basically company, uh, countries committed to end and reverse deforestation by 2030. So one important uh, reason why forests were the focus at COP26 was that forests were um, by very important natural carbon sinks that will absorb carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. But I think it's also worth remembering that forests also play a critical role in preserving biodiversity mm. as well. Countries committing to end and reverse deforestation will obviously help to address both climate change and biodiversity loss. But I mean, Commitment is one thing, whether or not these countries can deliver on the commitment is another thing. And for example, um, in the Archie Biodiversity Target, so one of the targets actually called for um, at least halving the rate of forest loss by 2020. But in fact, when we look at the data, the net loss in the worst forest area has declined by only 10 cents during the past decade. So the bottom line there is that um, we need to see a significant change in order to reach that 2030 goal. 
and what it means for Australia and in particular uh, the Australian agriculture sector is that land clearing laws um, in Australia might have to be tightened significantly mm. within a very short time frame. In particular, Queensland's uh, livestock sector could face a um, disruptive transition just because of the fact that uh, currently the majority of land cleared in Australia occurred in Queensland because mm. of production. I was going to say, what about, Carol, the Global Methane Pledge? Because that, I think, was a bit of a surprise from COP26. So is there any impact there that we need to be aware of? Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, So the Global Methane Pledge, uh, signed by more than 100 countries, uh, was another important outcome um, out of COP26. There was actually some criticism that not enough um, attention was paid to agriculture. Um, Mm. A lot of focus was really on the forest field-related methane emissions. But agriculture actually um, is a major source of methane emissions. Agriculture is also a primary driver of biodiversity loss. So think about land conversion, um, fertilizer use, and also the production of livestock feed. They all add pressures on the ecosystem. So Agriculture um, does play a really important role in tackling both climate change and biodiversity loss. And I guess one of the ways uh, to reduce the impact of agriculture on biodiversity is to adopt more sustainable farming methods. Mm. Um, And, I mean, there have been some targets in the new global biodiversity framework that will help accelerate that shift to sustainable agriculture. Well, I think it's important to acknowledge uh, that the Australian agriculture sector actually shifted dramatically uh, towards a more sustainable agriculture system over the past 30 years, but more needs to be done. Um, And I think the targets in the global biodiversity framework will really help accelerate that shift, but also growing consumer demand for sustainable products will also play a role as well. I don't know about you, but I do see more and more fruits and products labelled as sustainably sourced mm. or produced when I go shopping these days. Yep. Um, so that really highlights that uh, consumers are increasingly aware of the environmental impacts of their purchases. So that will um, help add pressure on land managers and producers to adopt more biodiversity-friendly uh, ways of uh, production. And finally, I mean, a big thematic through all of this is just improving disclosure about the risks. So disclosure around uh, nature-related risks, disclosures around sustainability as well. So COP26 did deliver more on this point. Uh, What do we need to be aware of? So during COP26 negotiations, um, the International Financial Reporting Standards uh, launched a a new global sustainability standard setter called the International Sustainability Standards Board. So that is actually similar to the International uh, Accounting Standards Board um, in the sense that it will help standardise sustainability-related disclosure standards uh, rather than accounting uh, disclosure standards. Um, I think one of the reasons why nature is currently underinvested is that investors don't have reliable and comparable information um, to properly value companies and as a result, they tend to overvalue companies that um, exploit natural resources and to deliver short-term gains and undervalue those 
that um, invest in natural resources. So that uh, international sustainability standards sport um, standardizing sustainability related disclosures will really help investors to make an informed decision regarding their investments and also capital allocation. So ultimately, I think it will lead to more um, nature positive investments. Also, bear in mind that I think investors will increasingly demand consistent sustainability reporting and information. So that will in turn increase demand for our regulatory bodies and businesses to respond. 2021, there were a lot of conversations about ESG, Mm. but I think the E of the ESG has really been just about climate. So I really do hope 2022 will be a year for biodiversity and there will be some more conversation and talks about how we can manage biodiversity-related risk and also talk about how we can harness the opportunities out of the risks that emerge from biodiversity. It's a great point to end on, Carol. It's certainly, I mean, even just in recent years, we've seen the focus on climate change and reduction of carbon emissions really lift. But your points about nature and the interconnectedness with climate change is is very relevant. And and I hope we can continue to discuss this in 2022. Thanks for joining today. Thanks, Melinda. Now you can read Carol Kong's report on biodiversity, what happened at COP15 and COP26, which was published on the 9th of December 2021 at combankresearch.com.au.